On this episode, Oklahoma, sharks, laws in Florida, and finding adventure. Welcome to the Almost There Adventure Podcast. hosts, Severia Tilden, Jeff Hester, and Jason Fitzpatrick. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Almost There Adventure podcast. Today, I'm, I'm pretty excited. We have someone who I've, I've never actually met, but I've been following for years on social media because her adventures are crazy and amazing, uh, Kinga Phillips. Kinga, welcome to the uh, show. Thank you so much for having me. Very exciting. You do so many things. Why don't you introduce yourself to our audience so they get a better sense of what you do and, and who you are. <laughs> oh my goodness. I would say that uh, probably my resume should read uh, Jack of all trades, master of none. But I do a lot of journalism and I do television journalism mostly. And I am very fortunate to work very much in the capacity of nature, adventure travel, history, anthropology. Basically, if it involves the great outdoors, I get to do it often and travel to the most exotic places of this world telling awesome stories. <laughs> I, I think um, the neatest thing, the thing I see most from you, or at least that I recognize the most, is the diving. Is that how you sort of got started in this world? Well, the other, I mean, you, you've hosted Shark Week specials and, and done all this crazy stuff. Is that Was that your first sort of foray into this world? No, actually, I'm a girl from Warsaw, Poland, who then randomly landed in Bartlesville, Oklahoma, which is completely landlocked, and did journalism after having seven different majors because I decided that that is the best way for me to quantum leap my way around the world and basically have all these different experiences so I don't have to settle on, on one career choice. I get to see all the cool things that people around the world do. And probably 15, maybe now 17 years ago, I started diving and fell in love with it and living on the coast here in California. It's given me access to the ocean. And then I started working in shark conservation and it just kind of snowballed from there. And from scuba diving to free diving and spearfishing to, like you said, having the immense honor of getting to host a Shark Week special this past year. It's, it's really been wonderful and it's become a huge passion of mine. That's great. Well, wow. what a culture shock. I mean, how old were you when you moved from, from Poland to Oklahoma? <laughs> I was five years old okay. and apparently I hid under the airplane seat the entire flight because I was terrified. I had no idea what was going on. <laughs> I can imagine. I guess at least you're sort of young and pliable enough then, right? Like you, you don't necessarily have like established enough of your who you are and whatever to, 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 to feel that massive culture shock. Did you speak any English when you moved I here? did not. Oh. And you're absolutely right. At five, I was very pliable and lucky for me because my parents were in their probably late 30s, early 40s when they came. And I was this five-year-old that did not speak any English. And we landed in Bartlesville, Oklahoma. So I was Kinga Anashpakevich, which is my real legal name, in a world full of Amy's and Sarah's and, you know, <laughs> lovely humans, but humans who really didn't understand immigrants that well. And for us, it was this amazing culture shock. And I then learned the language. I also got held back in, it must have been kindergarten because somehow it escaped the system that I didn't speak any English. So they brought in a specialist to test me because they weren't sure what was wrong. And it, they, the guy came out and goes, she's fine. She just doesn't speak the language. Oh my so I was always the oldest kid because I, I got held back. 
Uh, but it was it was a very cool, different world to step into, and and people were really welcoming and lovely. And my parents were both nature people. My dad a geologist, my mom a, a botanist. So we would road trip around Oklahoma and tear our way through the bramble looking for uh, for box turtles. Oh wow! What were they teachers? Was that how they they ended, you ended up moving here? Good question. So my dad, a geologist, was part of the solidarity movement in Poland mm. with Lech Wałęsa. So mm. when we came, we actually were offered political asylum when oh, we wow. came. And we kind of, we, we came here under the guise of coming on vacation because my dad was co-working with a company, a groundwater, his specialty was oil and groundwater. And he was working with a company in Oklahoma and they basically sponsored us coming over. And we didn't take the political asylum because at that time the government in Poland was real mean. They were kind of nasty yeah. and we didn't want them coming after our family there. Yeah. Jeez. That was my first adventure. I know. Right. Wow. Kinga, uh, do you still have family in Poland and, and have you been back? back since then. So I do still have family in Poland, although they are, they're kind of far removed family. And no, I have not been back since I think 1999. And I, I just had this conversation with a, a Polish waiter at the restaurant I was at, and I was embarrassed to tell him I had not been home in that long. So it's, it's high time that I get back there. It seems like there's a lot of like a burgeoning like adventure an outdoors culture kind of growing in Poland as well. Like I've seen like hikes and, and you know, in various magazines and articles and stuff, you know, sort of like a mountain biking scene and, and all this kind of stuff too. So it'd be kind of a, a neat way to revisit. <laughs> Absolutely. Apparently yeah. Poland has a huge diving culture. I was told by uh, Phil Short, one of my favorite and most amazing tech divers in the world, that Poland has a really uh, incredible assortment of divers in the tech world who are some of the best in the world. And that's, that's cool to learn. And it's a beautiful country from the Tatra mountains to the Baltic coast, it really does offer a lot in terms of adventure. Cool. Well, we need to, for season two, so this is my segue into your new show. Um, so for season two, we need, we need to get Mike Callahan, you know, to, uh, to sponsor you, you know, to go to Poland. Poland. Finding so adventure Poland. Right. So a little background. One of my best friends is producing a show that Kinga is hosting on an adventure show. So Kinga, why don't you tell us about the show? Well, I was lucky enough for the lovely people, including Michael Callahan and Laura Ling at Hearst to come to me and tell me about the show. And I think they got one sentence out when I was like, yes, yes, I, I, I would love to do this. Sounds amazing. And the premise of the show, it's called Finding Adventure. And the premise of the show is, is really simply beautiful. It's going around our country, the United States of America, which has so much to offer in terms of natural wonder and biomass and different environments and just extraordinary natural spaces that people can enjoy. And we went around to cities across the country from New Orleans to Pittsburgh to Sacramento to Orlando to Portland, Maine, and Kansas City even, and we would have participants that would join us that for one reason or another just didn't get out very much in nature and maybe didn't even know what their state and surrounding city offered and we would show it to them so we would take people we would take them river rafting and uh, whitewater river surfing we would take them rock climbing we would take them to just these beautiful areas that they really didn't even know existed and didn't get out too much so the show is great because not only is it a feel-good story of these people having this experience but it also 
also showcase these, these beautiful places and these companies, these adventure companies that take people out for the audience so they can do it as well. That is so cool. What did you do in Sacramento? That's my hometown and I'm just, just out of curiosity. Really? Yeah, yeah. Oh my goodness. Well, we went, we went mountain biking there. Then we went to visit this beautiful raptor center where we got to fly uh, eagles, hawks, falcons, owls. Then we did a survival segment, which was super fun. We went fly fishing and we went windsurfing. Oh, and then we went to a cave. There was an incredible cave outside of Sacramento. Who knew? It's beautiful. <laughs> I, I didn't even know what, there were what a, what a great gig. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> what an amazing gig. Yeah. I'm like... Dang, sign me up. I can I can assist. Sign me up. <laughs> All of us. Let's go. Let's find yeah, an adventure. Sidekick. Let's see. You need a sidekick. Yeah. That was funny because I sort of asked Callahan, like, well, am I going to be in it? You know? And he's like, well, no, I think the idea is we want, like, beginners. I'm like, oh, fine. Yeah. You know? You know? I don't know. I need to, like, I already have maybe shave the beard so people don't recognize me and pretend that I've never been outdoors and I'll, and I'll be in season two. <laughs> I think you've, you've found too much adventure in your life to really so. be, yeah, to be a contestant on this show. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Oh, too well. much adventure for you. Damn, dang, darn it. Ah, uh, figures. <laughs> um, or success, depending on how you look yeah, at it, I guess, right? right? Yeah, <laughs> you'll be You'll be on the spinoff called Finding the Great Indoors, where yes, I is. just show up at people's houses with popcorn and, and we watch TV. Yeah, that's sadly, sadly about most of my time now, either in this chair that I work in, you know, from home now, or on the couch watching, binge watching television shows. That's mostly what I've been doing for the last few weeks, sadly, but, uh, <laughs> most people, most people for the last two years. Yeah. Yeah. It's been, uh, been weird that yeah. way. Thankfully we have been able, at least some outdoors has been the one place where, you know, you're, you feel sort of safe and you've been able to get out. <laughs> exactly. <Yeah. Yes. laughs> um, well, we're still early. We'll, we'll do more, more stuff down the road, but why don't you at least tell people where it's, how they can find it? Cause I, I did kind of research. It is a, a, I'd never heard of the outlet before where it's going to stream. So, so tell everyone, where it is and how they can find it. So Hearst Media creates a show and they own a streaming service called Very Local. And the streaming service is on par with like a Disney Plus or a Netflix or an Amazon Prime that you download onto your smart TV. So you go to apps, you download Very Local and it's great because it's free. And I always tell people if I can do it, anyone can because as, as evidenced by me trying to log in this morning, I technology and I just do not get along. So the fact that I was able to download Very Local, it is indeed free very easy and it's free and they have some really great content on there that's great well why don't we talk i guess shark conservation because obviously that's a big you know a big passion what first led you to get into that and I guess just why don't we why don't we talk go down that road a little bit and talk about it. So when I was a kid, I was not allowed to watch scary movies. So naturally, I would sneak off to my best friend's house and watch scary movies. And one of the scary movies that we watched was Jaws. And for anyone who's seen Jaws, which I would imagine most people have at this point, it's freaking terrifying. And it, it's just scary. So after that, I was probably, I don't know, nine years old and I didn't even want to take baths. I refused to go into swimming pools. I, my family and I would road trip like the Griswolds. We would go to Florida every year. That was our big adventure. And I wouldn't get anymore. Parents were like, what is going on? But I always had this really inquisitive brain. And at some point I started thinking, I was like, why am I so scared of this? And why am I so terrified of these animals? And then at one point I had the opportunity to go to the North shore of Hawaii, Oahu, and dive with sharks. And it was this incredible eye-opening experience where I thought, 
wow, I, I really had the wool pulled over my eyes on this one. Like these sharks aren't trying to eat me. They don't even care. As a matter of fact, they're really cool and graceful and beautiful. And it was this incredible moment of realization. I think the first in my life where I'm like, oh, I've been bamboozled by the media. And that feeling of these animals being underdogs really stuck with me. And so I started doing the research and realized what a difficult plight they really have. They just, they have a really crappy PR agent they have for years. And on top of that, you know, they're everything from thinning to environmental factors to habitat loss is, is affecting these poor creatures. So I thought, okay, this is something I want to get involved in. And I've been working with shark allies now for well over 10 years, and we work in ocean and shark conservation. We uh, did the fin ban in Florida this past year, which is really great. Uh, Stephanie Brendel, who heads the organization, did the first fin ban in Hawaii, which was the first one in the United States. I think that was back in 2008. I can't remember. But it, so it's great. And because of that, I've had the opportunity to portray sharks in a better light in the projects that I do, even in Finding Adventure. We had a, a scene in Jupiter, Florida, where I got to take a girl shark diving and she had the best time ever and she didn't get eaten. So that's, you know, it's always, always a positive story. Oh yeah. I've met Stephanie. I met, I was on a panel three years ago. She is, she's amazing. I, she did, I'm trying to remember the name. Do you remember the name of the documentary? She did, a, did one on the, the, that was how we were on the panel together at a film festival. Extinction Soup. Yeah. All right. We'll, we'll throw that in the show notes. It was a great film. She was, she was fun being on the panel with her. It's awesome. Yeah. I have a confession. I've never seen the movie Jaws ever. No. What? Yeah. <gasps> Jeff, I you mean, have homework. <laughs> Stop. Yeah. <laughs> You know, you, you I, I, try yeah. to pretend you're in Gen X, you know, Jeff, you know, and you're on the, the outside limit of it. It cannot be a Gen Xer if you have not seen Jaws. I'm sorry. In order well, to be qualified, <laughs> you have to have that childhood scar of watching Jaws way too young for you to be watching a movie that scary and then be it scarred was, your entire oh, life. Yeah. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Going into swimming pools, being afraid of sharks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh! I can't believe you've never seen that. <laughs> but watch, watch, got, watch the, the original. Yes. you need the original. Like yeah. you can skip the other ones after that, but definitely yeah. watch the original. Oh, I don't know. Jaws four with Michael Caine, like the great Michael Caine, who I don't know how much they paid him, but it must have been a lot of money to be in Jaws four. I don't know. <laughs> he needed a new swimming pool. Yeah, exactly. Or Jaws, Jaws three D, three D. It's in three D, man. You can watch the, how bad three D was in the eighties and why it, you know, it never took off or took, you know, from there. But yeah. And now no. we have Sharknado. Yes, Sharknado. Yeah. Shark, I haven't seen that either. That's okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> you can skip that one. Honestly, if you're drunk on a weekend, Shark, there's a place for Sharknado. <laughs> You know, I mean, that's some of Tara Reid's finest acting. So, I mean, you know, uh, you can watch Sharknado and, and not be ashamed. <laughs> Fair. Yeah. <laughs> um, so when you did your first time you did dive with the sharks, was, was it tiger sharks? Because those are the, that's generally what they dive with in Hawaii. If I meant, I don't know. I don't know much about it. But I, I think that from Stephanie's movie, I think that's what, that's what I seem to recall is what they do. Well, the tiger sharks are a little bit more elusive. So the first time I went out in Hawaii, we had a bunch of sandbar sharks and we had Galapagos sharks. The first tiger shark I ever did see was on the North Shore of Hawaii. And that is just, oh, they are such amazing sharks. And they're so cool because usually when you do dive North Shore Hawaii, you do have a lot of Galapagos sharks. You'll get some silkies, you'll get some sandbar sharks, all beautiful sharks in their own right, but they're much smaller. And sharks work on hierarchy. 
So when you see the smaller sharks disappear, you almost get this sensation of, oh, there's something bigger coming in. And that's exactly what happened. We were, we were there, we were in a cage dive for this one and all the small sharks disappeared. And all of a sudden this beautiful tiger just manifests out of the blue and circles us a few times and their stripes and their coloring are just so stunning. And they look at you, they come by and they look at each person. You see their eyes move. It's, it's amazing. And, and so you're in a cage though. You were in a cage when you, when you dove? For that dive, it was in, we were in a cage, yeah. Have you, now, I'm, I'm assuming because you said it that way, you've actually been out of the cage when you when you dove with sharks, too. Yeah, oh, oh definitely. That's, that's part of the fun. But, you know, I always tell people, like, even though you see on social media constantly of, you know, people face-to-face with sharks here and there, it, it really is a, it, it's, it's an experience that's worth having if you are with someone who knows what they're doing and if you know what you're doing. You know, I, I always caution people against the grizzly man syndrome where people are like, oh, they're my friends. No, no, they're giant apex predators. They really are. And even though they are not man eaters, you do have to understand them and their their behaviors and their body language and the environment. I've I've had some situations with very large sharks where I know that if anything had gone wrong, it would have been my fault because I didn't. I didn't take note of the fact that the tide had shifted from inflowing to outflowing. And now the, the water visibility went down a little bit and sharks take advantage of that. And they want to sneak up on you. And it's not necessarily like, I'm going to get you, but they, they want to investigate. So when they know that there's more cover in the water not being as clear, they're, they're going to sneak up behind you. Interesting. So what sort of, what are the conditions that make it right for a cage or not for a cage? Like how do you sort of decide this is going to be a cage dive versus not a cage dive? I would say the biggest thing is experience. So when they offer a lot of these cage dives on the North shore is some people are just more comfortable in a cage and you know, some, some people know what they're doing. They always have very experienced people there with you. Um, and, and usually if a bigger shark, like a tiger shark shows up, they'll have, they'll have people get out because you also need people to behave a certain way. Like it's, you know, you always hear, stay really calm. It's true. Like the last thing you want to do is, is flail around and pretend that you're a wounded fish. Really, really a bad idea there. Um, so, so I would say that the biggest factor is truly you having the experience to be with that animal or being with someone who is very experienced. You know, I have a lot of friends that dive with great white sharks outside of the cage. I know great white sharks far less than I know tiger sharks. So I would want to be with someone like Mauricio Hoyas out of Mexico, who is one of the best white shark experts in the world to be able to have that experience. I, I know tiger sharks well, I understand their behavior, so I feel comfortable in those situations. But at the end of the day, you're, you're still putting yourself in a position where this animal could overpower you in a second if it chose to. So you're, you're really going off of your experience, you're going off of watching this animal's behavior, but also knowing that, that you are putting yourself in a situation where there is inherent risk. Yeah, I would want a cage for both, I think. <laughs> <laughs> you would want a double cage double cage yeah like a double layer cage you know you know but uh <laughs> i guess also can we um you touched a little bit on it but i think talk about what how important they are to the ocean you know how important you know again the predators have had such a bad rap for so many years and now we're you know the whole all these environments are suffering as a result but but you know speak about sharks in particular why why do we need sharks in the ocean? What is their function and, and what happens when you remove, you know, that top level predator from, from the environment? 
So that's exactly it. Sharks are apex predators. They're a keystone species. So when you go to a reef and there aren't sharks there, it makes me sad because I know that that's not a healthy reef. So in, in any environment, when you look at it and you have prey animals, you have predators, nature does a wonderful job of keeping things balanced. You know, if you're out hiking and you see a, a huge herd of deer, you assume that there are predators there that are going to keep that deer population in check. It's the same thing in the ocean. And when you throw one thing off, you create a domino effect. And that domino effect is, is not a good thing. Nature is wonderful about moving the balance back and forth and you have more predators, less predators, depending on prey, but then enter humans and we wipe out sharks to the tune of, you know, a hundred million sharks a year. So at some point you realize that you are removing this very important species that keeps other species in check, that cleans up the ocean, that eats those dead whales, that makes sure that other populations don't explode because even you, you start to look at you're eliminating these fish and you might not even realize off, off the bat that that might cause an explosion down the line of jellyfish, which are then gonna clog the nets of fishermen so that they get less catch. It becomes this domino effect. So sharks are incredibly, incredibly important species in the ocean. And uh, well, obviously shark fin soups, there's a lot of hunting for that. Um, what, are the, what are the main causes? I mean, that's a staggering number of, of sharks that are killed every year. What are the other, what is it, I mean, for fishing, for food, for just for elimination, what are the main causes? So the main causes are shark fin soup, which is still a cultural delicacy, unfortunately. And then you have bycatch. You know, you have these gigantic fishing fleets going around the world and whatever fish they're catching for our consumption, there is a massive bycatch of other animals and sharks very often fall prey to that. So, you know, not only do sharks end up in shark fin soup, but they also end up in our cosmetics. Squalene is a big one. We had a big campaign with that with Shark Allies this year. You can, you, squalene is something like I could go look at my cosmetics and it's in a lot of my cosmetics, but the squalene, I'm very particular about it, that I purchase is plant-based. You can, you can get it from olives, but you can also get it from the livers of sharks. And that is a, a, another big one. Now sharks in some places are used as food. It's really a, a crappy food source, very high in mercury and other pollutants, but generally it's habitat loss, it's bycatch overfishing, and it's shark fin soup. Crappy. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's cheer up our audience a little bit. Yeah. This is good. We got the message <laughs> and the plug across. Let's, uh, what are, so you've obviously done, we've talked about the diving. What are your other kind of favorite types of adventures and what are some of your favorite trips you've done? Oh my goodness. Uh, wow, this planet offers so much. It, it really does. So obviously the ocean, diving, exploring underwater is one of my favorites. I also, I grew up backpacking. I was the kid that like wanted to go wander around the mountains and get in nature and be under the stars and not hear cars. And I still do that. That's, that's my big escape. And I know that's something you can relate to so well. And it's just, it's magic. And this country offers so much of that. You know, living in Southern California, we've got it in our own backyard. That's, that's glorious. I was just in, in the Sespe wilderness a couple of weeks ago and enjoying the hot springs and the, the immense stars overhead and dozens and dozens of water crossings that were just so cold. And I loved every second of it. <laughs> Do it will it? Did you, is it will it hot springs? Is that where you went? We did Willet and then went past to Sespe Hot Springs. And I had never been to Sespe. I'd been to Willet before. But Sespe, we got all to ourselves, that canyon. And that's that's extraordinary. One of the yeah. hottest hot springs in the United States right there. Wow, that's super cool. Yeah, it's it's really neat up there. 
Um, I haven't actually done the hot springs, but I did the the more torturous up the Pine Mountain up there and did an overnighter up there. That's uh, oh, you did the route. Yeah. You did the second route, the northern yeah. route. Yeah. I wanted to do that. Yeah, I'll have to pick your brain it's on that. Steep. It's steep. That's 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 my. <laughs> it's it's very neat up there, but it is steep. <laughs> Oh, I've so driven to Pine Mountain. Steep. Yeah. <laughs> Have you done it as well, Severia? <laughs> no. Okay. But it's like that. You're like, it's steep. I remember it was steep. I, I have <laughs> adventures that are like that. There's that one thing. Like, it was cold. Yeah. It was just very it was cold. It was steep. <laughs> yeah. Well, the thing about Sespe is you, you get a lot of climbs. I haven't done that one. It, the, the steep makes me a little bit nervous because that area really doesn't have any shade. So yeah. I've tried to do even the Willet hike, and it was 80 degrees out, and it was outright torturous and didn't even make it to will it i was now that i'm good i'm gonna turn around and turn on some air conditioning <laughs> that there there are some trees there because you're going up you know thankfully the nice thing with steep oh, you good. do get up into like the pine you know that sort of pine tree environment um so you find shade it's kind of uh sparse you know early on but then once you get to the top it's like you know forest uh it's very well, i mean it's very it's not even far i don't think from like mount pinos which is a different pine mountain but uh, if you ever go up to their fraser park area it's kind of similar to that once you get up there but it's very pretty very nice forest pine trees and clean air have you done a lot like in the sierra have you done a lot of backpacking trips around other i've done places? a couple shorter ones uh -huh. i haven't done as much in the sierra as i would like i've done a couple day trips and a couple overnighters there that area is just stunning you just have to catch it in in the right season you know here i feel like you can go year round there you, you're going to be trekking through snow after a while but there are so many there that that i want to do very cool. Now, now, what other like uh, again? Since you've been doing this journalism, what other? Where has this work? Where else has this work taken you? What other cool places have you been? Oh my goodness! It, I mean, it has flogged me all over the world, and I'm grateful for that. From you know, Lalabella, Ethiopia, to explore the sunken churches there, to Petra and Jordan, to rivers in Suriname and jungles that we had to chainsaw our way through, to deep in uh, the Brazilian Amazon, to an amazing islands all over the world, to mountains in Zimbabwe, and. Just, I, I have to say that I am incredibly fortunate to get to do the work that I get to do and the types of programs. I mean, from National Geographic to Travel Channel to the Hearst Show, whether it's US-based or whether it's international, it's really been a lot of fun getting to travel to some of these places. Do you want to trade careers? Like sit and stare at a monitor and, and type? <laughs> Done. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Maybe for a little while, you know, yeah. like, you know, just switch for like two weeks, you know. Um, <laughs> I'm kind of curious about like, I think on it sounds like it's amazing. And I'm sure that there's a lot of amazing experiences that you've had, but it also sounds like it could be a little bit grueling, you know, like the travel schedule and the film schedule and, you know, how much, what's the sort of ratio of, you know, fun to work when you're on, when you're out filming something for a, a series or whatever, and you're traveling from one place to the next. That's, that's a very great question. And, you know, the reality is I think we are all made a certain way to really respond to certain environments. And I realized very early on that what, what makes me the most tired and honestly gives me anxiety is routine and having, you know, a day where I'm like this, oh, I guess I'll sit on the computer today and get a couple things done. When I'm on the road and we're working an 18 hour day, if I'm outside, I'm thrilled and I love every moment of it. If I had to be in a studio, 
I, I don't, I couldn't do it. And it's just the way I'm made. And, and I've learned that for better or worse about myself. I'm, I'm only really good at the things I like. If someone were come to me and, and said, we're going to pay you $1 billion to do a show about politics in studio, I would be like, I got to pass. I can't, can't do it, guys. I can't. So it's, I really actually enjoy the schedule. I've lived out of hotels for the majority of my career, 20 years plus, And I kind of love that. And I love being on the road. And I love the early mornings and I love the overnight camping trips into the you know Himalayas where we sleep in a in a tent where there's a horse trying to get in there with you at night those those are my favorite moments I I love that on those trips how much of that do you have to uh, you know like how involved are you in the minutia like the planning and the you know the logistics for that sort of thing and and you know do you have like are there people who kind of do that or like, you know, when, when, when I do a, a trip, a backpacking trip or a road trip or wherever, you know, it's like on me pretty much to like pull that together and to figure out where we're going and the route we're taking and how, you know, where we're staying and how we get our gear there. What is it like for uh, on some of the trips that you've done? Side note, when I do it, Jeff also does the planning. So that's <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, he just sits back. He was like, oh, Jeff or Derek, they'll yeah. take care of it. Yeah, <laughs> just tell me where and when to be and I'll be there. <laughs> yeah. He just sends out a call sheet every morning. This Pretty is much. where you have to yeah. be. This is what you're doing today. Yeah. So it really depends on whether I am a producer on a project or not. If I am not a producer on a project, it is, I honestly have to say I am spoiled rotten because there are wonderful human beings who do all of the minutia. Like to the point where I come home and I'm like, I have to get gas in my car. This is weird. I, I really, you, I mean, you, when you're working on a TV production, you have producers and field producers and fixers whose specific job it is to organize every step of this. And because we're, we're oftentimes very limited by the number of days that we have there, the amount of time, everything is, is down to the wire. So we get a call sheet and you're like, okay, your call is at 5.30 a.m. We're doing this in this interview. We break for lunch at this time. Fill out your lunch order. It will be there for you. And then you're going to be trekking up here. So it is, it is really beautiful in the sense that there's not a lot that I have to do in terms of planning if I'm not a producer. If I am a producer, then very often, as you guys know, because you're in this world too, you create the project from start to finish. You develop it, you find the story, you you pitch it, you create it, you green light it with the network, you do all the creative, and then you're involved every step of the way. <laughs> so just a ballpark over the last, like, say, 10 years, how what's the percentage of at-home time to on-the-road time? It changes every year. 2019, I was gone for seven months of the year because I was doing a show called Lost in the Wild for Travel Channel and simultaneously doing a show called Enslaved for Epics and BBC. And those two were incredible and they were both international travel shows. So I was almost never home. But the fun part is that I love it so much that when I am home, I go backpacking or I jump on a plane and and go do fun things. So it's, it's really... I, they say, what, if you if you love what you do, you don't work a day in your life? I kind of feel that way. Do you have any plants in your place or are they, or, or do you not, are they all dead? <laughs> <laughs> They're all fake. They're all fake. Yeah, yeah, I have some outdoor plants and my mom comes every now and then and, and waters them. Indoor plants with me probably wouldn't live that long, to be honest. I'm whole, home all the time and all mine die too. I just killed a it's bunch of succulents, which apparently is impossible. And I feel, I, so, I, I feel so guilty. I don't know how I did it. I thought I did everything right, but I guess not. <laughs> I learned that you can overwater them because I also yeah. have killed succulents, yes. Yeah, the only one left alive I haven't watered in like two months and it's still alive and all the other okay. ones are dead. So, 
I'll, I'll try again. Maybe just fake plants for me too, I guess, which is sad. But what are the scariest things that have happened on on these trips? Because obviously, you know, you go to a lot of places, you a lot of things, bears, sharks. Have you had any like kind of really scary close encounters? People, people. I was just gonna <laughs> yeah. say, you know, it's it's definitely worth noting that in the world we live in, you know, I I interact with sharks. I I've seen bears in the wild. I have seen all kinds of amazing animals. We did a walking safari in Mana Pools in um, Zimbabwe and there were lions and, and elephants and hippos and all the things that can eat you, trample you, basically destroy you completely. But the scariest thing to me are always humans. I It, it kind of makes me sad sometimes. Like I hike in Malibu every day and I hike with pepper spray and people are like, is that for mountain lions? And I'm like, no, it's for humans. <laughs> it's for yeah. humans. Yeah. <laughs> so those... I, and I've been fortunate, like my, I've had encounters even with sharks where they could have ended badly. And almost always when I look back on it and I dissect it because I do, because I want to learn, I think, Ooh, that, that was really a fail on my part. I had one where I went to, um, Socorro, which is part of this archipelago off of the coast of Baja. It was beautiful. And we jumped in the water because there was a pod of false killer whales coming by. And usually when you're in the water with sharks, you're geared up. You don't want them to see the whites of your hands because this looks like the inside flesh of a fish. So you wear gloves, you wear booties, you're, you're pretty geared up. And we were in such a hurry to see these whales that I just had my swimsuit on. I, I didn't even have a mask or a snorkel. And we jumped in to see the false killer whales. And this is what I was talking about behavior and knowing your environment before. We had lots of sharks on the reefs with us when we had been diving that morning. And there were a lot of silky sharks, which I always laugh, have zero personal space. They really just like want, want to get as close to you as possible. You have to know how to be able to interact with them. And when they were with us and we were diving on the reef, they were very calm. But because they were following the false killer whales, they were following them because the false killer whales were hunting tuna. So the sharks were in predatory mode. They were looking for scraps. And I jumped in the water. I borrowed someone's mask. I didn't even snorkel. I jump in the water. Everyone else swims off because I don't have fins. And I turn and there's a silky shark like this to me. And I was like, oh, crap. And he starts circling me rather aggressively. I immediately could tell by his body language that he was pumped up. And he was like, ooh, ooh, yeah, snacks, snacks. And I thought, okay, this, this could be really bad. Like we're 30 hours away from land. And he started darting in. And I was like, oh, crap. Like this, this isn't good. I don't even have a snorkel. So I have to keep bringing my head up to breathe and putting my mouth in. And I started throwing punches at him because I thought that's all I can do at this point. And at that point, our dive master saw what was happening and he was in a full suit and he swam over, grabbed me and moved me away from the shark. And immediately the shark was like, eh, and swam off. And I got out of the water and Mauricio Hoyas, an incredible shark expert, was in the boat. And I told him the story and I said, it's because I was, you know, the, we kind of explained the situation to each other. And he was like, absolutely. Like the shark was pumped up because it was hunting. And here you are in a bikini with your little white hands and your white feet. And it was particularly targeting my hands and feet and trying to come up behind me because that's what they do. But it was my fault, completely my fault. Yeah. The shark's just being a shark. Right? Shark being a shark. Yeah, I can't yeah. blame him for that. Yeah. Oof. <laughs> um, uh, and, and I guess like your, in your experiences on safari, were you in a car or did, have you done any, like, do you walk? I mean, have you had similar experiences with non-shark animals? <laughs> so Mana Pools National Park in Zimbabwe is spectacular because unlike a lot of safaris where you're watching the animals from the safari vehicle, you are allowed to do walking safaris there. And you are, of course, with incredibly well-trained and well-armed uh, trackers. 
And these guys are amazing. They look at the ground and they're like, oh, uh, you know, a pride of lions came through here. It looks like maybe three hours ago. Oh, oh, look here. They pick up their speed. Oh, here it looks like two of them veered to the right. They're obviously chasing a, a cape buffalo. And I'm looking at the right wing. I see dirt. I see dirt. What are you, what are you seeing here? <laughs> so these, these guys are, are phenomenal at what they do. So we would actually track lions and we would come up on, on prides of lions who had just made a kill there were times where we had to hide behind trees because there were elephants coming by. And the first thing they say to you, they're like, yeah, those elephants are real pretty hot. They will kill you in a second. They will trample you. They're wild animals. And that's, you know, that's the self stewardship of being in a place like that. You it's phenomenal. I actually love that feeling where you are not the top of the food chain. You are not, you know, the, the coolest thing going there. And any one of those animals can kill you, not because they're vicious or mean or nasty or malicious, but be, because they're, they're wild animals and that's just how it goes. So Mana is a, a super, super special place. Yeah, it's interesting you, you mentioned that about uh, you know, different animals that we are not afraid of, like an elephant, for example, but maybe we should be. You know, and, um, you know, for example, you know, backpacking and hiking, a lot of people are afraid, you know, deathly afraid of bears. And statistically, more people are killed by deer every year. Yeah. By like a huge numbers, like 120 people die from by deer each year, and and those are the things that were like, oh, Bambi, it's so yeah. nice, it's cute. Yeah, but you just never know. You have to you have to realize that these are wild animals, and you have to treat them with respect and understand their behavior and give them space. But you're but you're so right. It's what I said before with sharks that they have a bad PR agent because you have all these other animals that kill a lot of people. And again, not because they're malicious, but because they're wild animals. So we're like, ooh, elephants, ooh, domesticated dogs. And they all kill more animals than sharks do every year. They just have really good PR people and they're really cute and fuzzy. So that's, that's how that goes. But yes, the lesson is wild animals are wild animals and they all deserve space and respect. And, you know, us understanding that we venture into their world. Like domestic dogs, it's like, what's like three, 400 people worldwide a year? Yeah. But it's funny, then you go to the scariest animal being man, right? Because that's their owner's fault, right? That's that's our fault. That's people's fault. The, they're dogs, you know. 100%. I mean, I'm looking at Betty, uh, you know, sleeping behind Severia there, you know, like very scary. Oh. Like, like you know, yeah, Be Betty's a killer. You can tell. <laughs> the little ones usually are. Yeah. She's, 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 she's just she's waiting vicious. for her opportunity. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. She is. Yep. To lick me to death. Yeah. Aww. <laughs> death by a thousand licks yeah <laughs> it's a good way to go yeah well so now you've wrapped the the season of this show what's what's next on your list what's your next adventures well we are in talks to do another shark week show uh location to be determined which is really fun and have a, a couple other projects in the works that i am producing and developing that but they're all in the adventure space it's it's kind of all i want to do now i gotta say like it's just like i said before i i feel like i've never worked a day in my life and i really enjoy that and i even love the development of these types of projects so that's that's a lot of fun for me and then in my downtime grab my backpack go out into the wilderness okay i have one another shark question sorry to go back we keep going back oh, to the sharks yeah i love it um <laughs> Would you ever dive with bull sharks? Because I know those are kind of the scariest. I, to me, those are because the, they're the most aggressive and, you know, they swim in lakes and rivers and they find them, you know, hundreds and 
thousands of miles up rivers and things. Yeah, so bull sharks have more testosterone than any other animal on the planet. And you're absolutely right that they have been found up to 2,000 miles upriver. They have an ability to convert from salt water to freshwater. And I have been in the water with bull sharks on several occasions. I greatly prefer it when the water is clear. Um, they're really cool sharks. You know, they're beautiful. Like they're, a lot of them are in Cabo Pulmo National Park in Florida. I've seen them. That was actually murky water. I didn't love that. Uh, even in Jupiter. And it was quite sad because when we were doing this beautiful dive in Jupiter for Finding Adventure, the Hearst show, there were so many amazing sharks. There were silky sharks. Of course, they had no personal space. Like I mentioned before, they kept trying to put their noses on my person and I would push them. There were sandbar sharks. They were so beautiful. And then we had a bull shark come around and that bull shark stayed pretty deep, but he had a bullet hole in his head because the people in Florida don't love sharks. And so even when we were going out in the boat to film, our boat said shark addicts on the side of it. So everyone knows it's a shark diving boat. And we have our cameras and we're filming and I'm talking to camera and all of a sudden this boat passes us and these people start like catcalling us and they're doing this. And I'm like, do they, or they do? And I'm kind of used to that because when people see a camera, they're kind of jerk sometimes. And our girl Cassandra goes, no, it's because they hate the shark diving. And I was like, wow. Yeah, Florida's a real battleground between commercial fishermen and uh, shark divers. Well, and you want to talk about the, the people being the most the dangerous diver? animal. <laughs> people being the most dangerous yeah, animal, right? Florida. Because... <laughs> Sorry, it's there. So I'm curious, do they hate them just because the because they're trying to protect the sharks and like, yeah, like what's the conflict? It's like, like you said, it's like all part of the hierarchy, right? Like it creates healthy ecosystems. Mm-hmm. So why are the fishermen so against the shark? People. So as conservation has increased shark populations, which is great. The fishermen are angry because they say that the sharks take their catch, that they tear up their nets and that they'll take fish off of lines. Well, they're sharks. That's what they do. And uh, they, you know, Florida has some interesting laws and uh, you see videos all the time on Instagram and YouTube of people just pulling out a gun and shooting the shark in the head, you know, or pulling them up and, and killing them. And you can land sharks in in Florida. Now, because of what Shark Allies did, you're no longer allowed to uh, to sell the fins, which is great. Because part of the issue with the fins is they are so valuable in the Asian market, but it's not just Asia that's causing the problem. We all are by allowing them through our ports and selling them ourselves. So you kind of have to stop the flow before you can really you know get into those markets and and shut that down. Florida has some interesting laws is the understatement I think, <laughs> of this entire run of the podcast, but you know, <laughs> I really love Florida, but man, they're weird. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Kinga, as you're describing that conflict between the fishermen and the shark divers, it reminds me of the conflict that you hear in other parts of the country between uh, ranchers and the wolves, you know, people who, you know, want to see the wolf pack sort of you know regenerate and grow and and uh, re reintroduced to places like Colorado and Oregon California that sort of thing same yeah. similar kind yeah. of thing similar thing and you see that you saw that with bears in Alaska you're seeing that very much you're right with wolves right now I, I keep seeing that about you know wolves being being killed off and you, you kind of you really just kind of want to go oh why can't we just get along and I know that everyone has their interests but 
the end of the day, you know, they, these animals really were here first. If, if we want to look at it that way, like they were, we had a, we had a, we have a big issue here in Southern California with mountain lions and there's a depredation permit, which was put in place, I think in the early nineties by basically ranching and farming lobbies. Cause they're real strong. And the permit allows that if a cat does damage to your property, meaning your animals, that you really don't have to have any more of an excuse. You just get a depredation permit and you kill it. And a couple years ago, we had an issue in Malibu because on Mulholland Drive, there was a woman who had 13 alpaca and a cat climbed her eight foot fence. I could climb an eight foot fence and got in there and killed all 13 of the alpaca. And the wildlife service came in and said, because she got a depredation permit, she was going to kill it. And people were up in arms about it because they were like, no, we don't have a lot of genetic diversity in this cat population. We can't kill off a cat that, that is genetically diverse. We want this cat in the breeding population. And she was like, oh, but it killed my alpaca. And people were like, well, why the hell do you have alpaca up there? And you're, you don't have a barn for them at night. Like it's your responsibility at that point, but there's no caveat in the depredation permit saying, well, you need to take these steps first to ensure that you're actually protecting your property yourself and not letting alpaca roam the hills in cat country and then being upset that they killed him. And it also is a side note. It's a very cat-like move to kill all the animals. Like if you took a, a house cat and you put it in a box of baby chickens, it would kill them all and then maybe eat one. It's what cats do. So this wasn't like some crazy mountain lion. It was just a mountain lion. It is nice in LA, like we have, you know, P22 days and, yes. you know, and yes. I don't know if you saw, they approved that, that wilderness crossing over Santa yes. Susana Pass. So, yes. so it's kind of neat. We're getting better, I guess, <laughs> or at yes. least there's a lot of people here that, that do appreciate what little nature we have in this massive, you know, like urban sprawl, you know, like people do at least seem to, you know, collectively appreciate what little we have. Um, Absolutely. The wildlife know, crossings are huge. That's yeah. so important. That's going to make a really big difference. No, no, for sure. It's exciting, you know. Um, you know, and it's kind of neat. I'm sure they'll they'll have cool, like, uh, motion cameras, so you'll be able to look and yeah. see what's happening and, you know, uh, what's crossing at night, you know, so that, that'll be uh, that'll be fun. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, I love, I love live wildlife cams. I'm such a fan. Yeah. I just, I love watching what creatures do when we're, when they don't think we're looking. I had a lo job where I had a lot of downtime a few years ago, and I would just watch the Mount Baldy Bald Eagle cam. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just, like, watch them in the nest, you know, and they'd fly, and you're like, you know, oh, Dad's back, you know. Just kind of have it off on the side. <laughs> so relaxing. Oh, I absolutely. love it. There's one on Catalina too. There's a yeah. bald eagle cam on Catalina. Yeah. <laughs> super we'll exchange cool. information on bald eagle cameras. Absolutely. Yeah. I don't even, I haven't checked. I need to check it again. I haven't checked it in a couple of years, but I know a couple <laughs> years ago it was up. <laughs> King, it's been amazing talking to you. So many cool adventures and cool shows. Um, where can people find you? Where can people find your shows? And where can they find out what's next for you? Well, thank you so much for having me on. Uh, the show, again, is on Very Local. It's an app that is very easy and free to download on your smart TV called Finding Adventure with King of Phillips. I think it's going to be real fun and a nice little feel-good show. And probably, honestly, the, the best way to follow me is on my Instagram. And I put all of my adventures, both professional and personal, on there. So you can see me backpacking through very cold rivers and tripping on rocks and also get information about all my shows. Great. And what's the handle? King of Phillips. Just my name. Oh, wow. Yeah, hard, hard to forget, hard to, uh, hard to mess that one up. <laughs> awesome. Well, it's been so much fun having you. I'm super excited to watch the show and uh, excited to see your future adventures. <laughs> thank you so much. So great talking to all of you. Thank you for being on. <laughs> yeah, thanks for coming on.
Well, that's going to do it for us. Please make sure to subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast and follow us on social media on Instagram at almost there underscore AP or the almost there adventure podcast on Facebook. You can find Severia at Adventure Us Women, that's Adventure US Women, Jeff at The SoCal Hiker, or me at The Mirror Project. Our title track, Almost There, is performed by Opus Orange and is provided courtesy of Emoto. For more about this episode and all of our others, make sure to check out the show notes on our website, almosttheiradventurepodcast.com. On the next episode, we kick off our annual celebration of women in the outdoors during Women's History Month with search and rescuer and adventure mom, Kristen Nash Weber. As always, thanks for listening.